out there, welcome to Dame is a Four-Letter Word. I'm Lindsay. And I'm LP. And today we're talking about soldiers. Lindsay, who are you raising your glass to? I'm raising my glass of uh, Abkhazian wine to Maria Kittieria. All right. I'm raising my uh, Sierra Nevada Ruthless Rye to Triu T. Trin. All right, why don't we begin with you? All right, and I apologize for all the pronunciation errors that I am probably going to make. I just went with Wikipedia, the little listen button. Triu T. Trin was a young Vietnamese woman who led a rebellion against the Chinese in 248 CE or AD, if you really must. Um, her age at the start of her rebellious activities is listed variously as 19, 20, or 23, but most sources I found agree that she was 23 at the time of her defeat, when she chose to drown herself in the river of Mihoa rather than surrender to the Chinese. She's also known as Lady Triu, Ba Triu, and by the Chinese, Ao Triu, which means Old Bag Triu. <laughs> <laughs> the Chinese ruled over Vietnam for about a thousand years. At first, they started small, just requiring tributes and lip service from local leaders. But when they needed to, they'd bring down the boots of their imperial army. They met resistance several times, once from the Trung sisters, who I think we'll be telling you about later. Yeah? Mm, yeah. <laughs> and another time from Chiu Titrin. She grew up an orphan of an aristocratic family near Chiu Chen, modern-day Tanhua, which is in northern Vietnam near the ocean. First, she was raised by her eldest brother, but was later forced to live with her cruel sister-in-law. At the age of 20, she killed her sister-in-law and fled into the mountains. But she was drawn back into civilization by her indignance at the behavior of the Wu governor, Luke Dan. One source says his men were of barbarian stock and were ruthless and rapacious. Her brother, Triu Kwok Dang, also could not could no longer bear seeing the people suffering under the Chinese, but certainly wasn't expecting to see his sister return from the mountains with an army of about a thousand people to join in the rebellion he was fomenting. Damn. He first tried to talk her out of it, saying that it wasn't appropriate for her as a lady. Mm -hmm. She responded with, and there's lots of versions to this quote, I'm thinking translations, oral, oral traditions, whatever, There's I'm going with this one. They're all awesome, by the way. I'd like to ride the storms, kill the sharks in the open sea, drive out aggressors, reconquer the country, undo the ties of serfdom, and never bend my back to be the concubine of whatever man. I guess he found that hard to argue with. She joined his rebellion, <laughs> in some accounts becoming the leader after he was killed, in some becoming the leader after his troops were impressed by her bravery. She rode into battle on the back of an elephant strapped in golden armor. And there's... Also, a couple of different versions of what happened here. Detailed one, unfortunately, has to be the fake one. Right, but what is it? according to Histories of the Rebellion, as translated by historian David Marr, Triuti Trin was nine feet tall, <laughs> had three-foot-long breasts, and voiced <laughs> like a temple bell. She was able to eat several pecks of rice and walk 500 leagues in a single day. Yet she was also said to possess a beauty that would shake the soul of any man. <laughs> so the three-foot-long breasts being quite a hindrance, she'd strap them over her shoulder when riding into battle. <laughs> she got the Chinese cornered in their fortress and settled in for a siege. Unfortunately for her, the Chinese commander had heard that for all of her fury, she was terrified of anything impure or smelly. So he had his troops run out naked, kicking up the dust like billy goats. Scared of this dirtiness, she fled, 
Her troops scattered without her and were cut down, and she killed herself in shame. But later, she haunted this commander in his dreams. To ward her off, he employed his woodcarvers to make hundreds of carvings of penises for him to surround himself with as talismans against her. Because <laughs> I guess that's just what you do. <laughs> this didn't keep her from appearing in the dreams of later Vietnamese revolutionaries and encouraging them in the fight against the Chinese. I really wish I could follow up this gobbledygook with a detailed account of how the battle actually went. But considering this happened about 1,800 years ago, the accounts that don't repeat this story pretty much just leave it at her army not being prepared for prolonged warfare against the Chinese Imperial Army's numbers and skills. After about six months of her rebellion, it was crushed, and she drowned herself rather than give herself up. I have to say, though, that someone defeated by an OCD fear of dirt really doesn't seem like someone who would have been celebrated throughout the centuries as the Vietnamese tried to escape Chinese rule. I would have to agree. Yeah. It was a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> it's very much ridiculous. Um, to the Chinese, it was just another rebellion that was wiped out as a matter of course, but to the Vietnamese people, it meant something different. The rebellions of the next centuries against the Chinese dominations were decades or longer in between and short-lived, and she was presented as a figurehead to future generations to encourage them to fight to retain their identity. Says Keith Taylor, historian of Vietnam, we owe her our knowledge of her, to the fact that she was remembered by the people. Not to mention the fact that Confucian norms for the roles of women were at odds with those of the Vietnamese, who, you know, liked things like having them own property. <laughs> Stuff like that. And the occupied people keeping this legendary female figure in the face of that must have been one more note of defiance. In the 10th century, under the Li Dynasty, one of the first truly Vietnamese dynasties to be able to hold power in the long term, a temple was built in her memory. The emperor of the Li dynasty also gave her the honorary title of Lady Triu, the honorable, courageous, and virtuous woman. The French, to their peril when they were occupying Vietnam, let one of the educational leaders include many references to Triu in historical materials. Perhaps they were looking to emphasize themselves as being good bosses compared to the Chinese. Mm -hmm. That turned out dandy. <laughs> <laughs> There are streets named after her in several Vietnamese cities, among them Hanoi and Saigon. Uh, the temple still exists today, and there is a yearly festival in her honor where pilgrims pay homage to her. And also sing and have reenactments of the battle. I really want to hope with elephants, but I couldn't find anything to back that up. <laughs> yeah, there's feasts and merrymaking. Do people get breast implants? <laughs> Not to my knowledge. <laughs> I think it's pretty awesome that the memory of this one woman's unsuccessful struggle against her country's occupation, even though it was only brief, was passed down throughout the generations for, you know, 1,800 years. So, Triu, this one's for you. All right. Yeah, 
<clears throat> was a cross-dressing, highly effective, highly decorated combat soldier. A lot of my information on Maria Kateria comes from this really great paper I found by Ivani Vassoler, which really calls attention both to Maria and her astonishing accomplishments as a soldier, and then as a lieutenant, as well as to the fact that history has been very wrong to ignore her so much, uh, especially in the context of Brazil's history of independence from the Portuguese and Portuguese colonialism in the early 19th century. So Brazil officially declared its separation from Portugal in 1822 under the Brazilian Emperor Pedro I. And actually, this Emperor Pedro was Portuguese. Uh, Maria was also Portuguese. and But Pedro was sent to Brazil under the Portuguese monarchical and imperial flag to keep Brazil for Portugal, essentially. But... Pedro sensed the uprising against Portuguese rule in the country and jumped to the Brazilian side, and he was accepted by the independence movement as their leader. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. And he instituted a constitutional monarchy, the first for Brazil. There were, of course, after this, though, colonial uprisings against the push for Brazilian independence. Maria Quiteria was a soldier who fought against these uprisings for Brazil's independence and separation from the Portuguese crown. However, Quiteria said herself that her desire to dress up like a man and fight in the service of Brazil's independence was by no means just out of patriotism. In one book by this guy, Bovlorva, he talks about how she wrote, uh, and I quote, of her reasons for doing this, she wrote, a, a secret voice whispers to me that I also fight for myself. I am fighting, yes, to liberate Maria Quiteria de Jesus Medeiros from the paternal tyranny, from the painful domestic chores, from an unsavory life. Oh, I fight with water over my breasts for the liberation of women, for the new woman that will emerge. Yeah. So 1820s. Um, Damn. Yeah. But this this comes from Polvora, so for this quote. Anyways, okay. She was born in 1792 in a rural village called uh, São José in the state of Bahia in Brazil. Uh, today, it's this, this city is called Fiera de Santana, though it did enjoy Quiteria's namesake for a short stint. There. Really? Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like I mentioned, Quiteria came from Portuguese parents, though, and, um, but there, is, there are no historical accounts that show her parents were particularly loyal to the Portuguese crown, and even some people have argued that her father was kind of sympathetic to the um, Brazilians' push for independence from Portugal. But in general, her father, actually, in her life, was kind of a crotchety uh, bastard. Anyways, <laughs> her her mother died when Quiteria was a young girl. Uh, she was only 10 years old. And after that, her father remarried a couple of times, and Quiteria never felt close to any of her new stepmothers. Uh, she was poor and raised in the country. She likes nature, riding horses and bird watching, and she grew up pretty lonely, um, though she did have some friends that she found in her numerous half-siblings from all of her father's marriages. Mm -hmm. But she really liked her half-sister, Teresa. She was closest with her. And Teresa played a key role in Quiteria sneaking into the combat forces fighting for Brazilian independence. Uh, by the age of 20, Quiteria had become quite a gifted hunter and shooter. Um, so not unlike many of her sisters who fought throughout history, Quiteria uh, had to do a bit of cross-dressing to get what she wanted. <laughs> 
remember Sammy Ramos did this, right? We talked about before, and Deborah Sampson of the American Revolution. So she had to do cross-dressing and to get what she wanted, and she really also, like that quote I said earlier, she wanted to be able to be in the world. So a way of, so fighting was a way to actually be in the world rather than just in the house. Um, so when Kitiaria was 30, the Army for Brazilian Independence came round to her house and asked her father whether he had any male children who might want to contribute their efforts in the fight. Kitiaria <laughs> overheard and told her father that she could and wanted to fight, though she wasn't a son. Um, no surprise, given Latin American patriarchal attitudes, that her father flatly refused this well-intentioned request. And um, her father responded um, quite bitterly, uh, women spin, weave, and embroider, but never go to war. And so Kateria, though, being Kateria, uh, she decided to run away and join up as soon as her father turned his back. She asked her favorite half-sister, Teresa, who was married, for some help. Her sister stole some of her husband Jose's clothes and kept Kitiaria's secret plan secret at least long enough for Kitiaria to successfully join the combat force. And also, Kitiaria at this point was in love with this cowboy called Debrito, but she decided that in the end, being a cross-dressing soldier was what she preferred to do. In September of 1822... Kitiria, calling herself Medeiros, and dressed in her brother-in-law's clothes, successfully enlisted in the battalion of the Emperor's Volunteers, which were later called the Periquitos, which means parakeets in Portuguese. Meanwhile, back at home on the farm, her father was wondering where the hell his daughter had gone. Uh, and her sister Teresa finally broke her secrecy and told the father uh, she'd gone off to fight. Her father contacted the military commanders, exposing her, and this was just a few weeks after she joined up. So he exposed her as a woman just a few weeks after she enlisted. Um, her military commanders didn't see any reason to turn her over to him, though, and, nor did they punish her at all for her misdeed. Really? She was a great, yeah, she was a great fighter and shooter, I remember, and uh, at this time the cause was in need of people like that. And I quote her one of her biographies, this guy named Lima, who wrote, Her true identity had been revealed, but the presence of a woman in the regiment apparently did not bother the soldiers. The commander, Major Antonio Silva Castro, was in fact sympathetic to her, stressing that in a moment of need, gender was not important. Quitiaria hmm. yeah. felt the same for her battalion and told her father she wasn't leaving, to which she responded with uh, another icy and bitter remark, I am not your father anymore, and walked away. Oh. Yeah. Fuck him. I don't really <laughs> like her father. So this lady, Maria Graham, who is this 19th century English writer who met Kitiaria, uh, actually after she was finished fighting, described Maria as a woman, saying, I quote, she described her features, saying, especially Kitiaria's eyes and forehead have the strongest characteristics of Indians. She is illiterate, but clever. Her understanding is quick, and her perception is keen, I think. With education, she might have been a remarkable person. Uh, she is not particularly masculine in her appearance, and her manners are gentle and cheerful. So after being exposed as a woman, the literature on this describes it uh, as being a big relief for Kitiria because she got rid of her men's clothes and, I quote, took her condition to the battlefield against the forces of the Portuguese crown. And I think by condition, they just mean she was a woman. Um, oh, she wasn't knocked up? That's my <laughs> yeah. Opinion. Oh, okay. That's yeah. a condition. <laughs> <laughs> that's a condition. It's an illness. Um, that's weird because condition usually implies temporary. <laughs> uh, so in October of 1822, in the Battle of Piraja, Kitiria fought in a Scottish-style skirt, 
with her Brazilian comrades in arms who were outnumbered by the Portuguese loyalists. Quiteria shot and killed her first person there, and in the end, she and the Brazilians pushed the Portuguese to retreat. In January 1823, Quiteria, who remember was called Medeiros, uh, now in the battalion, became the lieutenant of her command after a wow. bloody battle on the beach near the city of Salvador. Uh, the original lieutenant was killed, so Quiteria took command and was declared the heroine of the independence. Um, she led her command to defeat the enemy, and Quiteria took many as prisoners. Lima, her biographer, remember, describes in his book how those strong prisoners who were warriors, used, used to the chaos of combat, and who fought bravely, heard then, a soft voice, and they looked at each other. <laughs> the voice of a woman. Looking down, submissive, and carrying the wounded, the prisoners marched quietly, crestfallen, sad, and humiliated. <laughs> she, was, she was promoted from soldier to cadet in 1823 by the interim government. Then, still in her early 30s, Kitiria supposedly got herself hitched. To another soldier. Oh, no, no, to another soldier. She dropped the cowboy. She needed a man in uniform. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. His name was Jose Luis, and they spent their honeymoon surrounded by combat. And I quote Under the roar of heavy guns, the shootings, the noise of the soldiery, life was going on in an agitated atmosphere of military maneuvers, roll calls, military barracks, marches, confrontations, attacks, retreats, advances, and victories. Wow. (laughs) Romantic. In April of 1823, she received the command of her very own female battalion. Uh, She had a. What? So was it because of her example that other women started joining? Like, did she become famous? I think it was a mixture of both. I think okay. there was a need, and then there was her example. Her story was spreading throughout country, and she accrued quite a group of female followers who wanted to also join up. So she commanded her own female battalion, who were extremely successful successful under her command. Um, in the Battle of Peragaisu, her and her ladies beat the hell out of the Portuguese forces in a really gnar- gnarly river, river battle. Brazil and Quiteria then, after this battle, were f- finally able to celebrate Brazilian freedom on July 2nd, 1823. Uh, and she marched, marched in a victory parade in Salvador on July 24th. The supreme commander of the Brazilian military formally recognized Quiteria's bravery in an official document, and then in August, Quiteria arrived in Rio de Janeiro, the capital, in her strange Scottish-style military skirt, in order to receive a distinction award and a lifetime stipend for her military service directly from Emperor Pedro I himself. Wow. So, kind of huge. So, after the war... Quiteria's marriage to Jose Luis, the soldier, and fell apart. And Aww. she went back and married her old flame. She cowboy. went back to the cowboy? Mm-hmm. But after this, she, she really isolated herself from all of her comrades that she fought with. She lived back in a rural community. She had a daughter with the cowboy. Apparently, she also kind of reconciled with her crotchety father. While history kind of has fallen short in recognizing Quiteria, the Brazilian armed forces haven't totally, and they recognized her posthumously in 1996 by awarding her one of their highest military decorations. Um, But for Kateria herself, too little too late. Her father died in 1834, as well as her husband, and Kateria, who was suffering from blindness at this point, and poverty. Uh, And she was locked in a drawn-out battle over her father's estate with the Brazilian bureaucracy. She died 
tired and alone in the city of Salvador in August of 1853 from a liver infection. So during her life, um, she, after her battles and her victories, she just went and fell into obscurity and, um, she didn't receive uh, many more decorations or honors, um, during her lifetime. And in history, um, She's really been forgotten. That's a bummer. Yeah. But she's recognized now, so that's good. Yeah, I've never heard of her. It's it's so, it's really freaking annoying that we just keep on getting the same crappy, like, Joan of Arc story, when it's like, Mm -hmm. not that Joan of Arc wasn't severely fucking metal and badass, but they always refer to everyone else as, like, the Joan of Arc or whatever. Like, I even saw a source that referred to, um, Triu Chi Tin as the Joan of Arc of Vietnam, and it's like, really? But I'm pretty sure she was many hundreds of years earlier. (laughs) Uh, the name of this paper, I guess, uh, well... The um, Joan of Arc of Brazil. Yes. Oh, it's called Cross-Dressing. The name of the paper, it's a really great paper, but the title is Cross-Dressing to Liberate Her Country and Herself, Revisiting the Life Trajectory of the Joan of Arc of Brazil. But it's like, it's not the same thing either, because for one, okay, I mean, not that she wasn't awesome, but Joan of Arc, one, led a much bigger army, also claimed, like, that God had told her to. It sounds like mm-hmm. this woman just made a belief, ba- I mean, a decision based on her belief in nationalism and belief in her own capabilities rather than thinking mm-hmm. that it's, it's a different fucking situation. They don't compare every single general to Napoleon. Like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and in Kateria's case, uh, like, Kateria, I think she she was doing it because it was also quite a, uh, it was a female struggle. She, she was like, fucking I am bored. Like, <laughs> I want to do something, which to me is much more compelling, actually, than Joan of Arc, because I don't Joan relate Arc with people who. Cool. She was cool, but I don't. I don't relate with God talking to to me because God doesn't talk to me. Yeah, no, it's to, totally, totally, totally different. Yes, exactly. Can we let's let's just all agree right now that referring to anyone that didn't claim that God told her to, especially anyone that predated Joan of Arc. Exactly. Could not be referred to as the Joan of Arc of da 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 da. We're raising our glass to squashing this right now. Yes. Not that Joan of Arc isn't awesome, but... Sorry. Sorry, Joan, but seriously, it's not your fault. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening. Next time, because we all know that sometimes we can't do it alone, we're going to talk about groups of ladies who uh, marched and swore together. This has been Dean is a four-letter word. I'm Lindsay. And I'm LP. I think I've eaten too much cheese.